0: Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser, and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today I have the privilege of interviewing Adam McNeil. Adam is the online marketing and PR manager at Fume. And Adam is actually one of the advertisers that we have at True Native Media. And so when he agreed to be on the program, I was so excited just to talk to him about his experience in the podcast ad space. Welcome to the program, Adam
1: it is a pleasure to be here very excited i've been listening to the podcast and it's kind of fun to now be a part of it so this is exciting
0: absolutely absolutely i'm glad to hear that that it's been helpful for you and you know on the podcast, the, the whole purpose is to kind of dissect podcast advertising and just look at what works, what doesn't work. And we know it's kind of an ever-changing, evolving medium. And what I like so much about interviewing people like yourself is that you have, I would say, real experience in the industry. Um, of course, we get to deal with lots of different advertisers, but I love to be able to interview someone like yourself who has all of the inside knowledge. So before we kind of get get into that I'm just curious if you could tell us a little bit about your company and kind of what you guys do
1: mm-hmm. so at fume we make a wooden aromatherapy inhaler to help people who quit smoking uh, boost mood and improve relaxation among a few other categories of support that we focus on but fundamentally our primary market that we serve is the smoking cessation community with a safe and easy to use and portable replacement therapy tool to help them quit smoking in the easiest way possible And we use nothing like nicotine or vape or anything like that. It's just a simple replacement therapy tool that uses the benefits of super plants. And we've been doing that for about three and a half years and have served over 35,000 customers around the world and have been on a crazy journey, especially in the past six months of just growing in popularity as kind of the number one natural tool for quitting smoking. Wow. Podcast advertising has been a big piece of that.
0: That is awesome. I mean, I think that the product is really amazing. Um, Obviously, you're serving a really good purpose to help people to quit smoking. Um, I'm curious, as you have kind of evaluated all of the different options to market the product, what made you initially interested in podcast advertising?
1: Mm-hmm. That it's kind of a twofold story. We kind of accidentally stepped into it uh, because a network had reached out to us. They wanted to get us on there. But to kind of prelude that, we had been in a, a bit of a pickle of a situation as a brand. Um, our product, seemingly representing the shape of a cigarette, intentionally to fill that hand-to-mouth function. Um, means that it makes it really difficult for us to advertise our product on any public domain like Facebook or TikTok or anything like that, uh, because they have all sorts of guidelines uh, regarding uh, promoting tobacco or smoking or the action of smoking or anything like that. And so we were limited in those avenues, those mainstream media avenues for advertising. And so we had to find alternative ways. And so one of those ways was Google. Uh, we were able to do some Google advertising and a little bit on YouTube limited, but we can uh, and on influencer marketing. And so we were really primarily focusing on those two channels for the longest time and word of mouth and kind of our, or, our organic uh, market. And then we had a podcast network from the comedy space to reach out to us and they said, Hey, we found your product Uh, They had apparently reached out to us about a year earlier before I knew about them and before I was working with Fume. uh, One of the reps there got in touch with me and said, hey, we've been working with another nicotine replacement product that did really well on our network. And we thought you guys might be a really good fit for us. And we're kind of hands tied trying to find new ways to to spread the awareness of Fume because we were being so, you know, we, we were tied. We couldn't do anything. Uh, And this was kind of like maybe the golden ticket. And we got in and we were really fortunate uh, to get on two shows right away that were highly profitable for us that gave us enough evidence to say, wait, this is a place that we can advertise and we can make an impact.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's anything about those particular shows that made that initial campaign
1: successful for you? Well, Looking back, I can dissect them and kind of point out some of the, the results in them if we were to go into like demographic targeting. But honestly, it was a pretty big shot in the dark. It was uh, a conversation with the rep there. He had a few shows that had done work with that other nicotine replacement product. And we were like, let's find out if this works. Let's throw you know $3,000 at this and find out if it brings back anything, nothing And if not, maybe I need to go find another job, we'll see. Uh, But we were really fortunate it worked out. And looking back demographically, we were advertising on kind of a political comedy podcast. Uh, The host himself kind of is uh, a commentator on political things and generally has an older male demographic that's invested, probably blue collar workers, generally speaking, and when you think about it, if you dissect that a little bit, that audience is typically your blue collar, stressed out, most likely to smoke crowd, trying to look for an alternative or trying to look for a way out that can replace that. And so it just seemed like a really good fit from the get go. Mm -hmm.
0: so what i hear you saying is that the target of the market was really but what was most important in that right is that you were reaching people who you knew were most likely going to be a higher kind of cigarette smoker audience so really having the right target audience probably helped a lot in the success of the campaign
1: it definitely did but it was definitely accidental it was not something that we knew when we went into it, it kind of just happened. And now we've taken those learnings and now we're implementing that more going forward into our upcoming podcasts that we're jumping on. It's like, okay, is this audience most likely to kind of fit that mold of high smoking demographic and would they be interested in making a change?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. And would you say that? Um, I don't know what that first host read was like? Have you had any hosts who have successfully used fume to quit smoking themselves and then been able to share that story in their host read ads?
1: Yeah, so we have a few hosts in particular and a show that we're actually jumping on in a couple months. I can't talk too much about it, but we're really excited about it. Uh, He's been a huge advocate for us for a long time, and we're finally advertising on his podcast. It's quite large, uh, but he used a fume to cut back on his tobacco. We've had a number of other hosts uh, use it to either cut down on their vaping or almost fully replace it, or they're getting very close Uh, because quitting is a journey. It's not something that's like, oh, let's just pick up this product wow, I'm never going to use a cigarette for the rest of my life. Um, Now, as much as we wish that was the case, uh, it's oftentimes a more convoluted journey than that. And so the longer we can work with these hosts, the more results that we end up getting because they're slowly reducing their uh, nicotine intake and they become a greater advocate over the long term for us as they are using our product. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of reduction in use and uh, some that are getting very close to quitting. And we've only been advertising in the podcast space for less than six months now.
0: Has it really only been six months? So it's really a very new platform. I thought it had been longer than that, but it's a new platform for you.
1: Yeah, it's been really new, but it's become our number one, aside from our organic and our Google, it is our number one advertising platform now.
0: Uh Uh-huh, that's amazing. So when you look at it being your number one platform, I know that oftentimes marketers look at their social media ads and, uh, you know, I think most people feel like I've got this scenario with my social media ads. I know if I invest X number of dollars, I target this specific audience, I use maybe these sorts of headlines or these sorts of photos, I'm gonna generate a certain number of, you know, conversions from that campaign. Campaign. I, I think that people spend so much time focused on the social media ad aspect. But then we also see that a lot of times those you know ads maybe aren't as effective. I know there's so many changes that are happening with privacy around mm-hmm. social media ads in particular. So I, I do think oftentimes people kind of jump ship from their social to their podcasting. But when you're thinking about really looking at the channel and seeing kind of its effectiveness, do you think that, you've been able to come up with a strategy that is kind of something you can reproduce time and time again, so that you can say, gosh, I know if I get on this kind of podcast, um, I, I work in this way that it will most likely result in a specific return on my investment.
1: I think we're getting closer to that. Um, we've only been in it for six months. So we right. haven't even seen the lifetime value of some of our shows that have aired, you know, six months ago that are still getting a sale here and there. Like we've ended contracts with shows four or five months ago that we still get a trickle sale in here today or, you know, last week or who knows. So how long is that going to go on for? Will that be another year? Will that be another couple months? We're unsure. So I'm not sure the long, term journey yet of our efforts. But right now, I'd say we're actually trying to pivot our strategy a little bit. Um, we focused a lot on finding bigger shows with really strong advocates for our product, uh, but we found that that was a little bit slow. It would take us a long time to find another good winning show for us, another show that would you know bring us a 3X ROAS or whatever it was. And we were spending you know $1,500, $2,000 on an episode, you name it. And we'd run that show for four or five, six weeks. And We'd get close or it wouldn't work out, and then we'd have to restart and find one new show. We're pivoting a little bit, and we're looking at transitioning to doing a lot more smaller shows and building out our micro-influencing podcast advertising efforts, whatever you want to call it, but really spreading wide so we can get a little bit more data. We've really been focused in that comedy slash political podcast space for quite a while, and we want to find out if that's actually our home. Uh, maybe our home is elsewhere as well. Maybe we can fit into that MMA space, which we found a little bit of success. And maybe we can fit in into the business or economic space where there's a lot of people working middle-class, high-class jobs that are very stressed out all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're beginning to explore that and looking to kind of shoot a little bit wide, which is actually why we're we're kind of coming back to True Native is we're, we're looking at, we're getting on a couple of shows in a few different demographics and trying out some new testing at a lower budget and begin scaling some campaigns there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's really smart. I know that a strategy that I definitely see use time and time again is one that I often call kind of shallow and wide. So the concept is how can we get on essentially as many podcasts as possible with just a small test to see where we're going to get a bump, right? So if you were to say, gosh, maybe we're going to get on 10 different shows, 20 different shows. And instead of saying we're going to do, you know, three to six month runs with these shows, we're going to just place maybe a really really small test by and then you're able to see what is really actually going to be effective for you. So it sounds like that's kind of the strategy behind what you're what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah, I was listening to one of your episodes a little while ago and it was either the one with um I can't remember the gentleman's name from Blinkist or it was Helix mattresses. And, and we're kind of following suit a little bit with one of their strategies. You know, We try to get on 10 shows and hope that we find two to three of them that are really good that kind of carry that batch of 10 and then keep those two to three and then rebook them for a year or rebook them for six months, whatever that is. Uh, once we find those winners, and then either we kind of retest a few of those other ones that are kind of in that they're almost there, but not quite. And then we find another new set of 10 and kind of repeat that process is really where we're trying to grow to so that we can really build an army of advocates for, for few and mm-hmm. make, make it really hard not to know about our name.
0: Right. Right. And when you're looking at those shows and trying to evaluate which 10 you're going to choose, do you feel that there are certain characteristics that you're going after to identify which, you know, which shows are going to be a winner for you?
1: So in general, for our product, uh, we really rely on high trust audiences, audiences mm-hmm. that have built a really good trust with that host. Um, there are certain podcast hosts that have great podcasts that are high entertainment value, but they aren't high trust value, meaning that I might go to them to get a laugh, but I'm not going to go to them to find out what product I should be using to quit smoking. Um, and. That just might not be the right fit for us, even though every other metric, every other audience is correct. So I I probably spend more time diving into the type of content that that person creates, both on and off their podcast, on their socials, really trying to get into the psyche of that person to know whether or not that their audience genuinely will trust them when they say, hey, this is a great tool for quitting smoking. Because uh, when you see this product, if you don't have a lot of education around it or if you're not familiar with it, it takes a lot of commitment to say, "Mm, I'm going to try that. Uh, So we really do rely on those high trust, high advocate uh, podcast hosts, which sometimes pigeonholes us to to spend more uh, on those really high audiences. Uh, But at the same time, we found incredible advocates at great CPM rates that we've been able to afford and and work with for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you. And one of the thoughts that I have had is what creates those high trust audiences and, and as you mentioned, there you know there's the entertainment space. And then I, when I look at podcasts, I think there's, I'm here just to be entertained. And then there's other shows. And I, I listen to those shows because I really am seeking advice, whether mm-hmm. I've been listening to a fashion podcast for middle-aged women that I love, and she's all about advice, right? I've listened to a ton of business shows that are all about advice. So I'm very accustomed to them telling me what to do anyways. And so I feel like, gosh, if they sneak in, um, you know, a product placement, you know, product endorsement, I'm going to be more likely to say like, oh, well, I've already trusted them for all of these other recommendations. So that's one set of, of my, you know, thinking. And, but then also I feel like just because you're in an entertainment space doesn't necessarily mean that I maybe don't relate to you, you know? So like, maybe Mm -hmm. as I'm talking to the host, maybe the host doesn't make a ton of of recommendations or or provide a lot of advice. But I think like, man, like I really see eye to eye with this host, or I just really, maybe Mm -hmm. I admire the host. So I think there can be different levels of trust building when Mm -hmm. you look kind of across the, the, podcast landscape, do you think that there are certain maybe genres or types of shows where there is more trust that's being built?
1: So, yes, uh, the political podcast space has a high level of trust, because if you think about it, right, regardless, and I'm a Canadian, so we we try to stay out of the political mess of a lot of things, but uh, in our fellow Americans world, uh, there's a lot of separation between left and right, you name it. But with that, there's also a lot of confirmation bias that comes with that. And so if you have someone that is either a herald on either side of that recommending something, Their entire army that looks to them for advice on political leanings or whatever that is or uh, conversational topics, uh, you're going to take their word uh, much more seriously than you would probably that person that's kind of in the middle. Those hardcore people that either lean very far one way or very far the other actually end up being some of the strongest influencers because they're so clear on what they stand for, whatever it is, that if they say I stand for fume, uh, they know that that person actually stands for that product and they're not just doing it for a product placement or not just doing it to make a back, uh, that they've chosen that product. And so I found that those audiences can be pretty crazy in terms of how much they will buy into a product. Mm -hmm. But that's my little secret. Don't tell other brands that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think I... We, we, I mean, I have heard that before and at True Native, we really shy away from political podcasts Mm -hmm. because in America, obviously it is so divisive and I'm like, okay, we're just going to not represent those shows. And it makes it easier for us Mm -hmm. to focus on other types. But I have heard that again and again, and I think that it Mm -hmm. makes total sense. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: It really does. But it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, if you can find a great host and a great audience that has great connection, you can find those exact same results without having to, to go to those spaces. Um, for example, like I run a podcast, uh, but it's super niche, it's small, but I just uh, started working with a brand Onyx Coffee Lab. And my podcast is all about uh, sharing about uh, this toy called Kinama. It's a Japanese wooden ball and cup game. And we talk about it over a cup of coffee every episode. And I've been doing this for over a year now. And I brought on this, this sponsor finally I reached out to them and their return on investment has been well over 20x on a show that has less than a thousand a week for downloads and it's because it's very very direct to that audience I use this every episode we talk about it and there's a high level of trust when it comes to coffee because that's what I'm talking about when I'm not talking about Kanama and so when that product came into my world it was an organic fit So it made sense to my audience and they trusted it because it didn't feel like, hey, and let me tell you about IP Vanish or any one of those other major podcast sponsors that are out there that everybody hears elsewhere. It doesn't fit my audience, but this was so clearly a perfect fit.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's such a great transition into influencer marketing. And um, if you've been listening to this podcast for very long, you know that I definitely really look at that host red ad as being influencer marketing. And that to me is what differentiates host red podcast ads from most any other ads out there. Obviously we've got all of, we've got the whole influencer space that's happening. But I believe that the power of audio in a lot of ways can sometimes trump what is provided in other influencer kind of realms and spaces. I know you guys have definitely, I believe, sampled into other forms of influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. How has podcast influencer marketing differed maybe um, in terms of overall results from like just a standard social media influencer campaign?
1: Mm-hmm. So when I actually joined Fume, I joined as the head of influencer marketing. So that was what I came in to do was to build out the influencer program. we had kind of started that and it had grown and it had done pretty well for us. Like it was very profitable, high ROAS, but the amount of time investment that goes into every influencer activation, the amount of, of relationship investment that you put into every conversation and all the work that goes in for that profitability, for that return can sometimes be exhausting until you find those, you know, you could call them like a goldmine influencer, an influencer that will go above and beyond for your brand, will become a hardcore representative, you name it, whatever it is, and they bring in buttloads of, of money. There's no, no better way to put it. Uh, they're fantastic. And we find those every now and then, but it takes a long time to get there. And the scalability of influencer marketing requires a lot of manpower to do that. Podcast advertising is a little bit different. I can work with an agency or representation agency like TrueNative and scale a program much more effectively or much more efficiently while still getting that same sort of host endorsement or influencer endorsement in a different kind of way. I think they kind of work tandem though. I I wouldn't disregard influencer marketing because it can be incredibly powerful for launches, promotions, for getting more awareness out there and especially just reaching the same people on a different platform, which we found to be really, really impactful. When you hear uh, Heather Osgood talking about whatever brand she's talking about on Twitter and on her podcast and on her social media, you start getting this web uh, wherever you go where you just can't not hear about Fume, no matter if you're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it is. And that's kind of the world that we're trying to build is that wherever you go, you see fume and you know that that's the best tool. Mm
0: -hmm. I think you bring up such a good point and one that I believe we need to pay more attention to in this space. So I really believe that podcast ads are influencer marketing, but Mm -hmm. also everything should and can be integrated, right? So if we've got a podcast ad read, why can't that be supported by a Facebook post, an Instagram story, a Twitter post, right? We can integrate all of it. And I'm I'm wondering how often when you're working with influencers, do you see kind of a full integration across many of their platforms?
1: A little bit and definitely more now than we have been doing before. And that's kind of the next step of our podcast advertising efforts is actually kind of hybriding that world Mm -hmm. we had for quite a while, kind of treated them as two separate things where we had our influencers that were on Instagram or YouTube. And we had our podcasters who were kind of on YouTube and on their podcast platforms. And now what I'm saying is, Oh, These podcasters also have great social influence on their Instagram, or they also run a Twitch stream, or they also happen to do all these other things. Uh, What are ways that we can fully brand them or fully work with them as a brand across their different platforms? And that's kind of the step we're working on in this quarter is how do we create some uh, influencer style activations with our podcasters?
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's great. The other thing I think is really important is that there there can be a difference between an ad and a sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about an ad, I feel like an ad is really like a read or a handful of reads, right? They're just ads. Whereas sponsorship can be, hey, I'm going to kind of get behind you as the influencer, right? Fume is going to sponsor you. We're going to sponsor the show. We're Mm going to be on your social. And I think there can be a much deeper relationship that is created and one that is reciprocal because if i see oh my gosh this brand is so interested in me the influencer they're willing to invest in my audience and in the the content i'm creating then i think the the influencer gets behind that brand more and kind of brings it to their audience and you know the goal is for us to have very clearly defined ads that have really clear calls to action, but we also don't mind, like you said, like with Onyx, like how can I maybe just slip this in to -hmm. some of the content that I'm creating? And I think that really is powerful for brands. And so there is that difference oftentimes between just running an ad and running a sponsorship. Have you Mm -hmm. seen that to be true or if you had any experiences with that?
1: well, I think we're getting closer to the place where we're, we'd be creating more of those sponsorship style uh, projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at potentially onboarding with the new show as one of their sponsors as they're getting ready to launch their show and becoming kind of an advocate for that show uh, in launching it. So we're beginning to look at more of that kind of work as we kind of work forward in deepening that influencer relationship. There's a brand out there right now that's doing some really cool work uh, called Cuts Clothing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them as a brand. And Ethan there, uh, he's their brand director, and they've been creating a series of these influencer style campaigns where they're creating podcast style interviews with these influencers that they've been working with for a while, creating these full interviews, these projects, these film pieces. They're amazing. They're stunning. Mm -hmm. And they're just deepening the relationship with these influencers to the point where that influencer is getting just as much value from the brand in exposure as that influencer is bringing to the brand in exposure. And those are the best kind of relationships because at the end of the day, you and I both then come to the table saying, how can we make this thing better? Uh, how can we work together to grow this thing? Instead of me as a brand just being like, all right, how, can I, how much more money do I need to pay you to get you to do this thing? But when we can work together to make something happen, uh, that's, that's where real, real work happens.
0: I totally agree. I think that's really amazing. I'm sorry, what did you say? The company was called Cuts Clothing?
1: Yeah, Cuts Clothing. They're like a premier men's uh, business clothing. The sport of business is like their catchphrase, Uh, clothing for the sport of business
0: wow how fascinating I'm gonna have to check that out I totally agree with that because it it's a I think a lot of it is about the reciprocity that's happening right between mm-hmm. the two entities and trying to work together now that being said I still believe that there is a place for testing and making sure that those partnerships are strong so as you maybe look back on all of the ads you've run so far you could say well we know the top performers are these you know handful of shows and we mm-hmm. want to go deeper with them because we know that there's already Mm -hmm. a fit. We know their audience already is responding to the product. So how do we go maybe deeper after testing? So I I definitely see a place for, you know, making sure that you test and then kind of taking it a step further. We haven't talked much about kind of the size of the audience. I know that's a question Mm -hmm. that comes up frequently and with however many podcasts there are now. I don't know. I think that recently I heard there was 2 million now, but um,
1: there's so (laughs) many coming up every day.
0: (laughs) A new one. Yeah. But so we've got a lot of smaller shows out there. And I know you mentioned that you're kind of trying to buy into some of the smaller ones to test. Mm -hmm. And I think you're testing probably genres, audiences, and that'll give you the opportunity to scale. But how small is too small?
1: You know, we have worked with a couple really small shows, mostly because it was an influencer that we had already worked with and they were launching a new show and they wanted to bring on a, us as a brand because they already really liked us. And we're like, yeah, sure, why not? This person's done great for us as an influencer. Why wouldn't we support them in this new endeavor that they're going on? And to our surprise, like it, it some of them have worked out pretty well, uh, surprisingly well for the scale of the podcast. And we track that through links, like, Google UTM so we know that it's different from uh, their influencer posts that they're doing on Instagram. And it's really interesting to see the difference of engagement that they end up getting via their podcasts over their Instagram influence. It's not the same. It's it's almost deeper when you get onto a podcast platform because you're spending the hour or 30 or 15 minutes letting that person talk to you Mm -hmm. in your ear. And if you're committing to that, you're probably a little bit more engaged in what they have to say. And so that audience is more valuable sometimes. But how small is too small? I wouldn't say there's a number specifically, but because we've worked with shows that have been profitable, that have had less than 500 downloads oh, wow. an episode. And mostly friends that we, or like friends, influencers, I call them my friends, but uh, mostly influencers that we work with that are you know smaller in certain niches that have a really dedicated audience and they do pretty well. And mostly I think I bring that bias because of my show that I host, like I bring in anywhere between 500 to a thousand downloads an episode and I've seen the results that I can bring for a brand that have been very profitable. So why wouldn't I expect that another person at that scale could bring in those results for us?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I, yeah, I think it's so interesting because I know oftentimes advertisers are looking for these really large audiences and there's so much opportunity I think with the smaller shows. And I often think sometimes they're hungrier because they don't have as many ad dollars. So they might be more willing to negotiate Mm -hmm. too. In terms, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the the other piece with that too, and this is kind of the the long-term game that we sort of play with some of these smaller shows is you kind of hope and cross your fingers for those viral moments for those smaller shows that then catch a wave. And you've been on that show or you've booked out six months or whatever it is. And now that shows hit a ramp or a scale and you're still paying that same flat rate that you agreed to. And now you're reaping that reward of that show growing because you were there when it started. Mm -hmm. And some of those shows are the best. We just had a show have a viral episode, that 40 X star our ROAS on that episode. It was amazing. It blew up our our store for the weekend and put our fulfillment behind four days or something. It was amazing because of a viral episode. And we had been advertising on that show with decent results for the past six months. And it just just happened one day. And it was like, whoa. So that's kind of the long-term game. You just want one of those a month or you'd wish they happened more often, but when you get them, you really enjoy them.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, That's awesome. That is great to hear. So how are you tracking the results for for your campaigns? Because I mean, you're not doing it for brand awareness. You definitely seem like you're doing it for that direct response. So how how do you know what kind of return you're getting?
1: So we use a couple different tools. Uh, Number one tool I think that most brands will use is a discount code. Uh, Simplest way to track a direct conversion is to know whether or not they use their coupon code to buy. But as you know, and as I know, not every customer is gonna remember that code and they're just gonna go buy anyways or whatever it is, or they'll come back three weeks later, forget the code even existed and purchase. So the other tool that we'll use is a UTM link. We use a platform called Grin. It's like an influencer marketing software, uh, but we use that for our podcast as well. And we create UTM links that have their discount code attached with like a 30 day cookie time or whatever it is. Uh, So that's kind of the second tool. And then the third tool, we use Google Analytics or Google Ads to measure our, branded uh, campaigns. So when people are just Google searching fume or breathe fume or whatever it is that the podcast host mentioned that wooden cigarette like thing to quit smoking, uh, whatever people want to call it. uh, We kind of look at our subset of ads that we title our branded ads. And if that is scaling and growing, that's probably primarily influenced through our podcast advertising. So we kind of use that as a third measure to to look at.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, great. Great, that's terrific. Um, and have you found that there are any kind of specific calls to action that work better than others? Um, you know, obviously, you are a direct to consumer company. And so I feel like the free shipping gets thrown around a lot or, you know, maybe a 10% off, but like what kind of really pulls and works for you?
1: That's something we're looking at testing here in the next quarter. Uh, we have been pretty, re- like, generally, we try to be pretty stubborn with our price. Uh, we don't want to devalue our product a whole lot, and um, and which makes it tough for advertising because you could just slap a 50% sale on and increase your conversion rates, whatever you want to do. But we we cap out at 10% off, and and that's the way we've kind of always done it for any of our discounts anywhere. And we don't really do much for offers outside of that. Uh, hardly at all. And we try to let our brand speak for itself. We try to let our product speak for itself and uh, let the host speak for themselves on behalf of our product. So we don't actually create that highly incentivized offers, uh, but it still works because we have great hosts that advocate well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Adam, I, you know, I know we need to start wrapping it up here. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all of this wisdom I'm curious if you could give a brand considering podcast advertising advice on how they might approach, you know, just putting together a campaign, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we started with less than three grand for I think six episodes on two shows. uh, And I would say with three grand, you can probably get on 10 shows that are pretty small and start testing and finding out what kind of copy works, what kind of scripting, all that kind of stuff. And start small, connect with someone like Heather and jump on an agency. You can try the whole direct approach by reaching out to individual podcasters. And we did that. It can be really draining and it can be really time intensive, but sometimes it's just easier to get that testing up faster. Mm -hmm. And working with a network or an agency is really helpful for that and start small. We got really, I would say we, we got really lucky with our first two podcasts being profitable because we found about two out of 10 or three out of 10. And if, we're, if, if I'm having a really good week, four out of 10 shows do well. Uh, so I would say start wide uh, and start small and begin scaling, find the demographic, find mm-hmm. the audience and grow with them, invest yeah. in them yeah. yeah. And watch their shows, become a friend of theirs. Uh, I think that's half the fun is I know the hosts, I chat with them. I'm in their comment sections of their YouTube videos chatting.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do feel like it gets back to, and you've said this several times now, but it's really, it is about creating that relationship with the influencer and the more, and I know that that takes more time, but if you can really cultivate those relationships with the host, I think it, I think ultimately it can really pay off. And it sounds like you've experienced that.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it definitely can. And we've hit some pretty crazy organic reach from being mentioned on the world's largest podcast organically to just what we're doing. It It's just really a cool platform uh, mm-hmm. with a really unique audience demographic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It. Awesome. Adam, well, thank you so much for being on this show. If people are interested in potentially trying the product out or connecting with you, where can they go to find you
1: guys? They can head to breathefume.com. And we are in the process of updating all of our homepage so we have at the time of recording this our new website up for testing so you can check it out but if this is coming out a little bit later it should all be live by the time you're there and you can dive through our plant database and check out all the work that we're doing it's a lot of fun so uh, check it out and if you know someone or you yourself are looking to quit smoking highly recommend using fume it has helped so many people and it is one of the easiest and safest tools to do it with
0: Awesome, well, thanks for being on the show and thanks for listening. Um, I appreciate you guys being here and we will be back again with a new episode talking all about how we can make podcast advertising effective. And if you want more information about podcast advertising, don't hesitate to head on over to truenativemedia.com. Thanks so much and have a great day. If you wanna learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.